Amen. Crosspoint, good morning. You may have a seat. So wonderful to see everyone. Thank you to our worship team. I hope that, I would imagine that at some level, you know, the last phrase that we just sang, I want to be where you are. You know, coming to church, it's not that God is here, but this is a special place when you come to church and you gather with other believers who proclaim Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it, it, um, even though God is here and everywhere, it's awesome to be together, lift up our, lifting up our voices and being able to thank him and recognize that he's worthy of our praise is something very special. Um, I have here a special bag, um, and this is for anybody who's joining us for the first time. If you're a guest, know that you're special to us. We're glad that you're here. We hope that you swung by our uh, welcome table and grabbed one of these. It's just a way for us to say that we're glad you're here. It's got some goodies in there that you can use, but uh, just know that you are welcome here, that we're glad that you're here, and we hope you continue to come, and that you're blessed by being here, that we can be of service to you, because that's what we're all about, all right? For the rest of you that have been here before, we also welcome you. We're glad that you're here, and those who decided to stay home in your PJs, uh, I don't know if that's the case, but it, it kind of, I don't know if it crossed your mind to stay home, your PJs. We're glad that we're able to provide our live stream. And so I know there's people watching online. Uh, many of them are far away. They can't make it uh, physically, but they're joining us via the Internet. And so welcome as well. We're glad that uh, you're joining us. I want to make a couple of announcements. One is we really want to make a push to make sure that everybody who uh, considers Crosspoint their home church that you would be receiving our weekly newsletter. And so a lot of work goes into that, a lot of preparation goes into that. And in order for us to try to keep everybody aware of what's happening here at Crosspoint. So I would encourage you, highly encourage you, if you don't receive that and you would like to, go to our website, crosspointchristianchurch.com, scroll all the way down, and then you're going to see a really simple form for you to fill out, your name, phone number, and email. And that'll, that'll put you on our list for you to receive uh, emails, including our, our weekly, weekly uh, newsletter. In there, you would have some information, for example, I'll just go by through it really quick. But there's information about growth groups, for example, and it says it's not too late. It's not too late. So we're already mid-January. We just got our, our trimester one of 2023 growth groups going. And um, it's not too late for you to join. So... If you, uh, you know, you kind of put it off, or maybe you're hearing about this for the first time and, and you're interested, it's not too late for you to join a group. On that same note, I will say, and this is something that I'm very, very grateful for, I don't know if proud is the right word, although there is some level of that, and I'll explain why. As of right now, there's about 120 people signed up for growth groups. If you look around, there isn't 120 people in here. We get about 120 people on a weekly basis here, but there's 120 of you, of us cross-pointees, that are signed up to one of our 11 growth groups. And these growth groups are meant for you to build relationships, friendships, get to know people, uh, have an opportunity to ask questions, study the Bible more intimately, more in depth. Uh, you know, on a Sunday morning, you come and you hear the preaching of the Word, but the growth groups are meant for you to be able to be taught the word in a more interactive way. So I would highly encourage you to be part of one. Uh, we meet throughout the week, some on Sundays, most in person, a couple of them online, if that is uh, 
something that, that serves you better. But if you have any questions, see me, see Tony, any of the elders, any of the growth group leaders. If you don't, don't know who they are, then you're probably going to see me, but I can direct you to people that can help you with any questions. The point is, let's be serious about studying the Word of God and growing in our relationship with Him. doesn't matter where you are, if this is like your first time ever at a Christian church, or if you've been at a Christian church all your life, it doesn't matter. It, it, uh, what matters is our desire to pursue Him and be willing to take some steps of faith in order to do that. And, and joining a growth group is a very practical uh, thing to do in order for you to commit yourself to growing spiritually. So we invite you to do that. 120 is a really, really good number for our church, our size. So we're grateful for that. So thank you for, for, for joining a growth group. You will also um, see in that newsletter really quick a profile kind of highlighting a ministry that we support in India. I think that's kind of cool. It's on the other side of the world. Most of us will never be there or, or visit there. But there is a ministry called Buds of Christ that ministers to, get this, about 120, see that number again? 120 uh, children that are affected by HIV and AIDS. And so it's a really good work done in the name of Christ. The people that head that, the couple that does, uh, lead that group is a strong Christian couple that we're super happy to be able to support financially. Um, so know that, read up on that, and, and know who they are. Let's pray for that ministry to continue. Last week you saw the ministry in Ensenada, an orphanage there that we also support or collaborate with. You'll see some information about the blessing board. The blessing board is meant for us to be able to bless each other with items that maybe I don't need, I can put them on the blessing board in case somebody here needs those items, they can uh, get them instead of having to buy them or, or what have you. It's, it's a community blessing board. I would encourage you to read up on that. Uh, if you have any questions, see uh, Alvia, who's in charge of, of that ministry. And um, lastly, I want to mention a couple of things. These are not yet on your bulletin or on your newsletter. They will be soon. I just want to give you the heads up. Leadership development, I've mentioned this several times. For those of you that are elders, deacons, ministry leaders, uh, <clears throat> or in any capacity leading in a special way here at Crosspoint, or if you want to be used as a leader at Crosspoint or elsewhere, we're going to start uh, in a couple of weeks, a program <clears throat> that is meant to develop leaders that includes taking some really good courses through a fairly local church. So you'll hear about that. If you have any questions, see us, but you're also going to be uh, uh, personally um, contacted in regards to this with more information. We plan on going to the movies. That's right. There's a movie coming out next month called the Jesus Revolution, and it really captures the story of the Calvary Chapel movement. I don't know where you're at with that. I think it's a very good movie that could potentially help us, one, bond, spend some time together at the movies that we wouldn't normally do. Uh, we don't normally promote movies from the pulpit, but this will be an opportunity for us to, we plan on renting at least one theater, <clears throat> and um, just having our group at Crosspoint go to that theater, a great time for you to invite people to go to the movies with your church. That might be a little weird, but they might accept that. And it's all about and allowing God to change our hearts to reach people that we normally otherwise wouldn't. 
think about trying to reach. And there's a lot more in there, but uh, I trust that it'll be a, a God-glorifying movie that we will uh, take advantage of and being able to go together and, uh, and watching it. So you'll, have, you'll hear a lot more information. It's, it's not till next month, so we don't want to put it in the uh, newsletter too early. Just know about it, and we'll give more information soon. And then lastly, for the men at the church, you know <clears throat> that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's about 30 women signed up for our Friday night women's class. Not as many in the men's group, which we should. So all the men, I'm calling you out. See about joining us on Friday nights for the men's group. The men are planning a, an event with uh, Frank Sontag and his ministry called uh, Kingdom Men's Gathering, KMG. We plan on going there next month. It's an event that's going to be free from 1 to 7. I believe it's the 25th of February. We would love to take a bunch of guys over there and just be encouraged uh, with one another. So keep that in your calendar. We'll put that on the newsletter soon as well. But just know that it's coming up. All of that you would have missed if you don't receive our newsletter. There's a lot of things going on here at Crosspoint that I think it would benefit you to take advantage of and be involved in. And so I wanted to take the time to mention those things. All right. <clears throat> what we want to do when we get together here at church is we want to take part in sharing and taking communion together. Um, if you want to take communion with us and you didn't grab one of these, you raise your hand and we'll have one of our ushers swing by and get you one. In preparation for it, I want to read uh, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. I'm probably going to only read two verses. But I would encourage you to go back and take a look at this portion when you get home. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. We'll limit ourselves to 19 and 20. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Colossae. It's a church that um, obviously he's writing to believers. And he's reminding them of something very important about Jesus Christ, our Lord. And listen to what he says. It says, for it pleased the Father, it pleased God the Father, that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So it says that God the Father... The Bible explains that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says that God the Father, it pleased him to reconcile the world unto himself, to make peace with the sinful world, with us. And he did that through Jesus, and specifically through the blood of the cross. Our Lord Jesus hung on that cross, being God in the flesh, hung on that cross to pay for our sins. I know that, uh, you know, sometimes I, I'll watch interviews or debates, and when, when the debate is going on and, and the person of faith mentions, you know, sin, and the other person usually gets so offended by the fact that, that somebody would call them a sinner. And you would hear this very often, are you calling me a sinner? I have to smile at that because if you read the Bible, you will realize that God has no problem calling all of us sinners. That's you and that's me. 
no problem. From the beginning when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and sin entered the world, everyone born into this world is born a sinner. And as soon as we get the first opportunity to do wrong, we do it. If you have children and you've raised little ones, you know what I'm talking about. They're liars. They're cheaters. They're disrespectful. Why? We're born sinners, beloved. But that shouldn't surprise us. If you study the Bible, God has no issue calling us sinners. We are sinners. As Christians, we are forgiven sinners by God's grace. But we're sinners nonetheless. And so he says that he reconciled the world. Because of our sin, we are enemies of God. I don't know if you ever consider yourself or you realize that outside of Christ, we are enemies of God in need of reconciliation. And that reconciliation, that bringing back, that putting that relationship back in its proper order and state requires payment for our sin. The Bible explains that the payment of sin is death. So either I die and I am eternally separated from God for all of eternity because of my sin, or I put my trust on Jesus who took my place at the cross and through his blood bought my redemption and my reconciliation with God. That is the gospel. Every time we get together, that is central to who we are and what we believe and what we teach. And so we want to take communion. Paul says, whenever you get together, remember what the Lord has done for us. As you peel back the first plastic and you take the bread, it's a funny looking bread because it's unleavened bread. It represents the body of Christ. And the body of Christ was without sin and leaven is always a representation of sin. And so we take this bread together in remembrance of Jesus' body on the cross for us. As you peel back the second layer, you see the Jews that represents the very blood that here Paul is talking in Colossians 1, verse 20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. This is not the blood of Christ. This represents the blood that was shed on the cross by our Lord Jesus on our behalf. Our only hope to escape condemnation and hell is to put our trust in what Christ did for us as he shed his blood for our sin. Let's take that together. <clears throat> if you can and want, join us. We're going to sing for the last time, at least for a while, uh, this hymn. We want to sing hymns that are traditional to our Christian faith. We don't want to lose that. And we're going to sing, if we are ready, Trust and Obey. We've sung it twice. We're going to sing it for the last time. So let's stand and let's sing Trust and Obey for the last time. <clears throat> when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. 
trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear, can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And Father in heaven, we're grateful for all of your blessings. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for everyone who is here. I'm grateful for those joining us online. We pray, Father, through your Holy Spirit, through your word, that you would speak to us. That regardless of who the speaker is, that we would realize that in studying your word, we're hearing from you. We ask that you would transform us. Touch our lives. We pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may have a seat this morning. I am privileged to be able to continue our messages based out of Luke. So we started in Luke 1 1, and now we find ourselves in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. The title of this morning's sermon is Fear God. Fear God. <clears throat> I don't know what comes to your mind as you hear. A title like that of a of a message fear God and that's taken right out of a portion that is here um, maybe some of us grew up thinking like yeah but Jesus is love you know he's he's not mean he's and, and sometimes we grow up with these misconceptions that are simply not biblical and I will remind you if I was to ask you, what, what are your thoughts about hell? What do you believe about hell? All of us have thoughts, beliefs about hell. And then my follow-up question would be, are your thoughts and perceptions about hell, are they biblical? Or where are you getting your ideas about hell? If you were to take a survey and just ask random people, they would say things like, well, hell doesn't exist. Uh, in in Preparing for this message, I, I watched a couple of videos. I was interested in seeing what people that claim that there is no hell, what, what's their argument? And boy, they're happy to sit in front of a camera and act all knowledgeable and, and make assertions, false assertions about what the Bible does or doesn't say. And I'm thinking, boy, if somebody doesn't know the Bible for themselves, they could be easily fooled. And that's why we want you to be responsible for your own learning 
coming to church is not enough. It never has been. That's never been God's plan for, for a follower of his. God's plan for a follower of his, a Christian, a disciple of his, is to be students of the word. So that doesn't matter what kind of name they have, education, titles. I, I don't care what anybody says, and you shouldn't care what anybody says, including me, other than that, what the Bible says. That's it. You should value only what the Bible says. But if you don't know what the Bible says, how are you going to discern whether somebody's telling you the truth or they're lying to you? So people will say that hell doesn't exist. You know, in our culture, unfortunately, we use the word hell for all kinds of things, expressions. Some people will say, well, hell, I think hell is this right now. You know, I look at all the suffering in the world, and I understand there's a lot of suffering in the world. But that's not hell, beloved. And actually, we're going to touch a little bit about what hell is. Uh, and our third point in this message, uh, we're not going to get too much into it, because later on in Luke, we're going to talk specifically about hell. One of the things that this, this uh, person was talking about that, that I saw in a video you know, he said, you know, the Old Testament, Jesus, one of the things he said, he said, Jesus never spoke about hell. I'm like, really? Hmm. I'm preaching on Luke 12. I'm pretty sure he mentioned it there. And you're going to see that for yourself. And I'm so glad that we're able to go through, through the gospel according to Luke verse by verse so that you can see for yourself what the Bible says. And you don't have to believe me. So fear God is something that actually the Lord Jesus Christ said. I'm going to read Luke 12, 1 through 12. Um, I want you to know the main point of this morning's message is this. That God is glorified when we fear him and no one else. God is glorified when we fear him and no one else. You know, I know some, some of us like to act all tough and like, I fear no man. I, I, I'm sure you do. Then the police pulls up behind you and like, oh. My tags. <laughs> it's not true that we don't fear. I mean, somebody said that if you fear God, you won't fear anyone else. But if you don't fear God, you'll fear everything else. I think that's, there's some truth to that. I don't think it's an absolute truth, but there's a lot of truth to that. If you fear God and you know him, then you'll find it easier not to fear other people or other things. But if you don't have a fear for God, you're going to find yourself being fearful of just about everyone and anybody else and anything else. So we glorify, God is glorified when we fear him and no one else. Maybe to some of you it's brand new. It's a new idea that we would fear God. Well, doesn't he want us to love him? Yeah, he wants us to love him. But he is also to be feared. In Proverbs in the Old Testament, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't have fear for God, you don't have anything. A quick side parenting note. If you want to teach your children anything, it's not how to throw a baseball. That's not the important thing. Teach them that too. Teach them to fear God. That will be one of the biggest favors you can do anyone, to have a, a healthy respect and fear for God. All right. Luke 12, 1 through 12. Let's see what, uh, what the word says here. Let me find it. 
All right. <clears throat> it says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that would not be revealed, nor hidden that would not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you shall fear. Fear him who, after he has killed the body, has a power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten by God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour what you ought to say. Now there's some things in here that, boy, uh, I'm, I'm taking 12 verses, 1 through 12, and, and making that into one message. You could easily break these, this portion into Three, four, five messages. And so, unfortunately, we can't go that slow. We could, but, you know, probably take us like 10 years to go through Luke, which some people do. I'm choosing not to. So there's some things in there that maybe you have questions on that maybe we're not going to really address. I would say study it. And in your growth group would be a great place to say, hey, you know, I was reading this in Luke chapter 12. Well, what does it mean? And have some great conversations over that. Feel free to text me or email me anytime with questions as well. I love hearing from, from you guys. So here you have a situation, an event where the Lord is speaking. And he first starts talking to his disciples in the first verses. And he talks to them. He warns them about hypocrisy. The hypocrisy that is seen in the Pharisees, which we talked about last week. And the idea of hypocrisy is doing things in order to be seen by others that are not really who you are. Pretending. You know, if you do a study on the word hypocrisy, it goes back to, to these ancient uh, plays that people would do and they would put on a mask. You've seen that on movies. You know, they only had like one actor doing a whole play and, and he would disappear and come back with a different mask. He would, he, would, it would, he would play like the hypocrite. The word came from there. The idea of us putting on these fake masks and pretending that we're something that we're not. And he tells his disciples... He addresses two groups of people. And the first group he addresses is his disciples. says, beware, be careful. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In the Christian church, we have to be careful with hypocrisy. We don't want to be people that go around pretending to be something that we're not. We are to be very concerned with God transforming our lives, with us being different than when we were before, and letting that out 
from the inside out, not just putting on a mask and acting like everything's okay or like we're something that we're not. The Lord warns his disciples. I believe God would warn us to be careful with the problem and the sin of hypocrisy. You don't have to pretend. And then he addresses the group that was there. And it says that it was an innumerable group. They were trampling on each other. It was such a great crowd. Very interesting. And then he begins to teach them about fearing other people. And I'm going to skip. We're going to focus on a few verses. So I'm just going to skip and mention a couple of things here. Verse 8, for example, says, I also say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And there Christ is saying, look, so the problem that was happening here is that people were fearful of the religious authorities and therefore they weren't following Christ openly. And he warns them, don't do that. Don't be afraid of people. He says, be afraid of God. And then he says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the angels of God. If you confess me, I will confess you. Um, I've, I've heard this used out of context many times. And it has to do with evangelism. It's like, hey, if I don't speak up, man, God's not going to speak up for me in heaven. You know, he, he's talking to people who are making a decision, decision whether to follow Christ or not. He's not talking about followers and all of us, I would, I would dare say that at one time or another, have denied the Lord in a sense. Kind of like Peter did. Remember Peter? Classic. But he denies the Lord three times. Um, that doesn't mean that now the Lord is going to go to heaven and deny Peter. I think what, he, what the Lord is talking about here is, a, is, is how do we live? Do we live as witnesses of Christ? Or are we afraid of... Uh, the possible consequences of us professing faith in Christ and therefore we don't say anything and we go our lives in fear of others because we don't want to express our faith. I think he's talking about a continual rejection, unwillingness to proclaim and accept the faith that, that has been offered to us and a continual willingness to, to not embrace it and proclaim it. Not a, not a one-time thing. So if ever you find yourself, you know what, Ah, oh, man, they asked me at work if, if I'm a, you know, radical evangelical, and I said no, and I think I'm going to go to hell for that. That's not, that's not what, um, what I believe the Lord is, is, is teaching here. And then verse 10, if anyone who, it says, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, meaning against himself, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven You've probably heard a lot of this. What is the unforgivable sin? And what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Study on that. But I believe, and we've talked about this, so I'll just mention it very quick. I believe that to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to openly and willing, willfully reject what God has obviously done in a demonstration of his power, and you willfully reject it and attribute it to somebody else, including attributing it to Satan. That's what other people did, right? When the Lord would do miracles, it was obvious that, that God was using him to do these things, these signs, and people, instead of accepting that Jesus was sent from God at the very least, they would say, he's casting out demons by the power of Satan. And I believe that would be in the category of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, and that would not be forgiven. When God reveals himself to you and you choose to reject it, that is unforgivable. 
All right, that was heavy, but let's go back. We're really going to focus on these verses over here. So, Fear God is the title. What I want to do is I want to complete this phrase. God is to be feared, and then I'm going to have three points that I want to share with you. And we're going to go quick. So God is to be feared, point number one, because nothing is hidden from him. I don't know about you. I grew up in a Christian home, and so I grew up, I told you before, you know, uh, singing hymns like, be careful little eyes what you see, and be careful little feet where you go. Because your father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little mouth, what you say, and all these things. And as a, probably, I probably learned that four or five years old and picked it up again when I was 10, 11. That's a, that caused a very healthy fear. I mean, I did so many things that I shouldn't have. I think I would have done a lot more had I not had that fear in me, knowing that God is looking from above and knowing everything that I do. So the fact that nothing is hidden from God is reason for us to fear God. Um, you know, in Spanish, there's a phrase that says, el que nada teme, perdón, el que nada debe, nada teme. I messed it up. It, it basically means whoever doesn't owe anything doesn't have to fear anything, right? And that's good advice, you know, don't... If you, don't, if you don't owe anything, then you don't have to fear anything. The problem is that as human beings, we all owe much. We all owe much, and we therefore need to be afraid of God. And I'll explain that. We need to be afraid because, let's be honest, if you, do an, uh, if you analyze yourself, if you do an inventory of your life, think about all the things you've done wrong, all the things you've said all the things in secret that nobody else knows that you know are wrong. That's scary. It's like troubling. It's disturbing. I mean, just go. And you don't even have to think that hard, right? I would imagine that as soon as somebody like me says something like that, think about all the bad things you've done. Poof. Like this automatic list comes up in your mind. And, and what? And some of the things maybe you paid for them and some of the things you kind of think you've gotten away from them. You know that nothing Nobody gets away with anything at the end of the day. And that is a scary thought unless your sins have been forgiven. You might say, just like that? And I would say, well, sort of, just like that. When we put our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ, the only perfect one, and we believe that he took our place at the cross and we accept his forgiveness, then it is just like that. It isn't just like that in the sense that God had to become a man in order to live a perfect life, in order that he would give his life as a payment for our sins. That's a really big deal. That's a big sacrifice. But as far as we're concerned, we are saved and forgiven by faith, by putting our trust in Jesus Christ, by surrendering, acknowledging our sin, repenting from it, and saying, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. And thank you for what you did through Jesus Christ on the cross on my behalf. God is to be feared because nothing is hidden from him. Luke 12, 2, which we just read, says, For there is nothing covered that would not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. This is the Lord saying, Anything that was done in secret, it will be known. Hebrews 4, 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God knows everything about everyone. 
Psalms 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding or knowledge is infinite. That's one of God's attributes. God knows everything. He knows everything about you. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives. You might be thinking then, who stands a chance? Outside of Christ, nobody. In Christ, anyone who's in Christ is saved and forgiven of all this. God is to be feared because nothing is hidden from him. Point number two, God is also to be feared instead of fearing people. God is to be feared instead of fearing people. Luke 12, 4 says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more than they can do. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's telling these people, don't be afraid of these religious leaders that are threatening you. He goes, all they can do is kill the body. You might think, like, well, is not enough? No, there's more than that. He says, don't fear people who can only kill the body. Instead, he says, fear God who can kill the body and then throw your soul into hell. Instead of fearing people, we are not to fear people. John 12, 42 says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Did you see that? John 12? It says that even among religious leaders, some of the Pharisees, they would believe in Jesus, but they wouldn't confess him publicly because they were afraid of, the, of, his, of their peers, of other people. As soon as they found out that they were followers of Christ, they were going to get kicked out of their high positions. So they didn't want to speak up. They were afraid of the repercussions of professing faith in Christ. Psalms 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist says, God is my light. God is my refuge. God is my rock. I put my trust in him. Therefore, I need not be afraid of anyone else. That's where we want to get to. I want to really encourage you to make sure you take a handout. I made enough copies for everybody. Take the handout, look at the points, look at the verses that I'm sharing with you, go through them at home, and then look at the questions that I put on there. You know, I think I put a question, and a very obvious question is, are you afraid of people? And most of us will say, like, no, I already told you, I fear no one. Really? So when it comes up, when, when the subject of faith comes up at work, are you comfortable talking to people and telling them you're a person of faith, that you're a Christian, a follower of Christ? No, you can't do that. There's a lot of persecution now. I might get fired, written up, or my friends might stop talking to me. I say, let's be honest, and not are you afraid of other people. It's how much fear do you have of other people when it comes to you being public about your faith? Do people around you know you're a Christian? Are you a Christian? Do people around you know? Are you okay with the repercussions? Well, you don't understand my teammates. Uh, I mean, probably not that different from everybody else's teammates. 
Do you fear people? We are to fear God instead of fearing people. Point number three. God is to be feared because nothing is hidden from him. God is to be feared instead of fearing people. And God is to be feared, point number three, because he casts people into hell. For some of you that might be like, what are you talking about, Mike? Well, did you not read it? The Lord Jesus Christ said, don't be afraid of people because all they can do is kill your body. And again, for some of us, that's like the worst thing that could happen. I don't want to die. And we are fearful of death. Not understanding or willing to accept that this life is temporary. Even if you live 100 years, that's nothing compared to eternity. We should be very concerned about eternity and less concerned about the temporary. But I understand. It's a common fear. But we are to fear God because he casts people to hell. So he says, don't fear people that can only kill the body. Fear him. Fear God, who after he kills the body, it says in Matthew, can destroy your soul in hell. Fear him. God is to be feared. And when you fear him, you will find yourself not fearing anything else. If you don't fear him, you're going to be fearful of everything and everyone else. Let's get our priorities straight. The Lord said it. Don't fear people. Do fear God. People can only kill your body. God can kill your body, and then he can send you to hell. So when I'm looking at this guy talking about, like, you know, Jesus never spoke about hell, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? What a liar. And how unfortunate that people don't know the scripture enough to know that, of course, Jesus spoke. You know that if you read the Gospels, you read the New Testament, Jesus spoke a lot more about hell than he did heaven. That's a fact. And we're reading through Luke, you're going to see that. Jesus mentions hell much more than he does heaven. Don't tell me Jesus never spoke about hell. Don't tell me hell doesn't exist. Matthew 25, 41 says, then, then he will also say to those on the left, this is a judgment that occurs in the future. It says, God will say to those on the left, those who did not believe in him, he'll say, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Of course hell exists. In fact, I would say that hell is a necessity to God's holiness and righteousness and perfect judgment. And just as his children will inherit eternal bliss in heaven and his presence, people that reject Christ and what he did for them at the cross will experience eternal condemnation. And I'll say this, in case anybody's wondering, hey, Mike, what does one have to do to go to hell? The answer is nothing. You're already on your way over there. Nobody has to do anything to go to hell. Just live your life and do whatever you want. Don't acknowledge God's love and sacrifice for you, and you're already under condemnation. Beloved, if by any chance you've bought into this lie from hell to think of yourself as a good person, and you're thinking like, well, we'll wait and see. When I get to the pearly gates 
And then I'm in front of God, and he says, wow, you did all these bad things, but oh boy, look at all the good you did. Come on in. You have bought into the most ridiculous, terrible, damning lie. The Bible says that we are already condemned. We need to be saved from that condemnation. And the only one that could save us is Jesus Christ, whose life is worth more than all of us. And so when he gave his life as a price and as a payment for our sins, it is able to cover and forgive us of all of our sins. He is the only Savior. He is our only hope to escape hell, have our sins forgiven, be transformed, have eternal life, and spend eternity with him in heaven. That's it. One way. Revelation 2015. Last verse. It says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We're going to talk about hell later when it comes up again. Eternal torment. Mike, I can't believe that. That sounds too terrible. I don't know what to tell you other than I don't really care what you think. And you shouldn't care what you think either or what you feel. What you should care about is what does the Bible, the living word of God say? And if he says that God will not only kill your body but will send you to hell, believe it. Or choose not to and pay the consequences for all of eternity. Serious stuff. This was a really hard message for me to prep for. Thinking about hell. How do you present hell to people? I don't know where everybody's at. My pastor of old used to say, make sure of heaven. Study your Bible. I heard him say that hundreds of times. Make sure of heaven. Study your Bible. You don't want to end up in a place designed and created for Satan, the devil, and his angels, and anyone who refuses to acknowledge Christ as their Lord and Savior. This morning, we're going to have our, our worship team come up and sing one more song. But also, afterwards, I'm super pleased that we have Delilah, who has chosen to publicly proclaim her faith and take the step of obedience and being baptized. Yes. Delilah's an 11-year-old and uh, had a chance to, to speak to her. We've known her for many years. And uh, she wants to get baptized. She wants to um, focus on her relationship with God, acknowledge the fact that the Lord Jesus is her Lord and Savior, wants to make a commitment to follow him, and wants to do that publicly through baptism. Uh, our, our baptistry is out of order right now, so we're going to go next door where the water is nice and warm this time, and we're going to have our baptism over there. So what we're going to do is we'll have Delilah kind of go now, and then we'll finish off with the last song. And then everyone, I would invite you to just kind of transfer ourselves over to the next building. And we will have our baptism there. All right, let me pray us out of here. Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word. Uh, thank you for your teaching. Holy Spirit, for enlightening us. 
for allowing us to have faith to be able to believe these things that are, are hard to really think about and comprehend, if not for you. We thank you for our Lord Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. Father, give us wisdom and understanding. Give us faith to believe, to trust, and to follow. We want to be obedient to you. We want to know you, love you, and serve you. I thank you for, again, everyone that was here and all who were part of this service. We pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand and worship God. One more, one last song. I know some energy here.
All right, church, let's head on over to our sanctuary for our baptism.